welcome to episode two of the off-season NRL Bulldogs fan podcast. We're back from our hi- hiatus. I survived New Zealand, Scotty. What are you doing over there on grand final week out of all weeks? <laughs> I was there the week before the grand final for a, uh, a very good wedding. Uh, but I forgot to say that my name's Matthew. And again, Scotty is along with me. Oh, and uh, glad you're back. <laughs> Thanks for that. We did uh, we did miss a week of episodes, but um, I don't know. I was watching the uh, the listener count on last on the last episode go up even in the week that we didn't have an episode. So I don't know. Maybe that should be the format: one episode every two weeks. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think they yeah. were starving for more. They were waiting. They thought they surely they must have an episode. Surely they have. And they just listened again. I reckon that's what I reckon it is anyway. Yeah. Well, we won't be doing that. It's too much fun. Back to uh, weekly episodes. Uh, well, fingers crossed, at least. We'll do our best. Uh, log off seats in the head, Scotty. Uh, maybe before we get into... Oh, I don't know. Uh, do you want to talk about the grand final? Yeah, why don't we talk about the grand final? It was a terrific day. of oh, A terrific day, but a terrific game. The main game. had That was a really good game. Controversial after the 72nd minute at the top of my head. I yep. thought it was a, it was a thought it was a very enjoyable game of rugby league. I actually thought the Raiders probably were the better side, but lost in that one. Yeah, that was my was, view on that one. It was a grand final for the ages, wasn't it? It was one of the uh, uh, one of the the better grand finals. Really high quality football, but we're the Bulldogs fan podcast, Scotty. So let's get into what's happening at Belmore. Well, I know he's no longer a bulldog, Matthew, but Greg Eastwood's announced his retirement. He got the farewell on grand final day under the Bulldogs banner, and he goes off with back-to-back state championships. It's not it's not the Roosters have gone back to not just the Roosters, but Greg Eastwood's gone back to back. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're doing what's happening at Henson. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's still a Bulldog at heart. He hasn't even changed his Twitter account yet. He still says a professional Bulldogs player. He never <laughs> wasn't a Bulldog at heart, Greg Eastwood. That's why I thought we could kick him off with the show. And I thought we could. You know, what was your favourite memory of Greg as at a Bulldogs? Because I've got one that sticks. I've got two what sticks out in my mind. Ah, oh, it's a uh, sprung this question on me. Um, I remember it coming through in the winger at the Broncos. My first memories of Greg Eastwood. Um, he's a bit of an odd career, hasn't he? Jumped in the halves at times. Um, played throughout the back line. Uh, I remember it being part of a pretty formidable forward pack. Uh, and locked forward, and uh, at the time, he was really, uh, really fit and leading the charge for us. It was probably just that well, period was great. I was going to highlight two moments from Greg Eastwood. One was that Belmore sports ground against the Cowboys with that runaway intercept try. He scored at Belmore. He actually <laughs> yeah. scored it in front of us. We were sitting on that end, and he scored it in front of us. And I thought at one stage he was going to get there. He's like the biggest fast guy in the game, I think. Well, was at least one stage with that, the big rig towards the end of his career. Still running like he was a winger. And the other one was when against South Sydney in the prelim final in 2014, where he actually uh, ran about 30 metres to score a try and ran over Greg Inglis to score a try and really put the stamp on that game. And we really smashed the Rabbitohs to go into the grand final that year. And those were probably the two favourite moments of the individual plays of Greg Eastwood out of many at the club. Yes, and uh, once a Bulldog, always a Bulldog. So congratulations to Greg Eastwood on the. Uh... Terrific career. One that also saw him represent his country of New Zealand. Yes, terrific player. Well done, Greg. And we'll move on 
to a bit about the Daily M Awards where Will Hopper-Whitey was nominated for Centre of the Year. We, uh, he didn't win the award. He's the only Bulldog who actually went to the award night, though. Uh, the only nominee, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a nominee, but the, no, there was another nominee. We're going to talk about it in a second, if you looked at the script. I don't do things like that. Yeah, he's <laughs> off the cuff. <laughs> Speak, play what's in front. Play what's in front, eh? That's it. So I, I know he didn't win the award, but it was another thing topped off to his year when he won the Bulldogs Player of the Year award earlier in the year. And also, uh, I mean, he was playing fullback for a, a few rounds earlier this year. To be nominated for centre of the year when you started to get fullback, I thought it was pretty, pretty good. Uh, I think it's a pretty high honour to even be nominated and be talked about as one of the best centres in the comp of the year in any position, really. Indeed. And we'll roll on to the actual player who actually did win a Daily M Award with the Proven Summons of Medal. was Josh Jackson for his great sportsmanship. Uh, that was, of course, the West Tigers game at Ains and Stadium when Paul Mugnogrosky missed the goal kick and uh, saw the Bulldogs win by two points and how Josh Jackson led a few Bulldogs players over there to really pick up Paul and uh, consolidate with him. So he wins yeah, the award um, for that great sportsmanship. Well, I don't think there was anyone else that was going to come close to that. So good on Josh. Yeah, it shows. It shows a, he's such a good leader, and yeah, no, that that part shows. Uh, we keep rolling with what's happening at Melbourne because there's a lot to cover. The World Cup nine squads have just been announced through the week. Uh, would you like to run through the players in the nine squad? <laughs> made the nine squads in the country they played for. I have a funny feeling I know why you want me to run through this, but that's okay. Uh, Will Hopawadi for Tonga. <laughs> Lou Recruit Sioli Katoa for Tonga. Kale Kalachi uh, for Lebanon. James Ronimus for Lebanon. Eli El Kasim from Lebanon. Lao Toa Nata Afar from Samoa. Um, and you've got here JMK from New Zealand, CHN from New Zealand, and Remus Smith. From New Zealand. So obviously, Jeremy Marshall King and Corey, how are we around Naira? Yes, I think you know why I chucked you under the bus. <laughs> I chucked you under the bus there. I, I think I, I, I think I might have uh, might have uh, destroyed two of those names there, and it wasn't the one I thought I was going to. But there you go. <laughs> I think you did well. We'll Thanks. find out later. Um, we'll find out later. I'm sure we'll find out in the near future if we've got those names pronounced correctly when some of them start actually getting into the top grade. We'll start playing top grade football and we can listen to the wonderful Steve Allen announcer today in Stadium. <laughs> yeah, but uh, little little known fact is Steve Allen actually gets his pronunciations from me. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, to, I'm only to, kidding. I'm only kidding. Anyway, uh, we'll keep rolling. Luke Vella a junior, uh, was a junior of the club. He's been announced the Jersey flag coach for yep. 2020. Uh, big shoes to yeah, good luck to him. Uh, the Bulldogs jersey flag side made it to week two of the finals and the heartbreaking loss to the Roosters, which they could have easily went into week three, uh, went into the extra time period. Uh, so he's, I'd imagine he's got some high expectations. And he, uh, the Bulldogs have been delivering the last few seasons, especially when Dean Pay's arrived at that level at jersey yeah. flag. So I'm sure Dean Pay's got high expectations as well for his reserve great the jersey flag side. 
Should we? We'll keep rolling again because there's so much to cover and what's happening in Belmore. I think this is the biggest what's happening in Belmore since it's well, even before. I think it's the biggest ever. Uh, the former Bulldogs medical officer Hugh Hazard passed away. He worked for the Bulldogs between 1975 and 2010, and he was working with the NRL between 1998 and 2010. People that know him, he's a tough old bugger. Uh, unfortunately, one of uh, one of the greats. Uh, the medical side shows that the football side more than the actual players on the field. It's everyone who's involved in it. Uh, yeah, so well, it's a sad thing to sad thing to hit the news this week. Sad news for the club, Dr. Hugh Hazard. Uh, I remember him having a like, obviously massive part with the Bulldogs. He was also the Australian team doctor. And uh, since the news of his passing, which is quite sad, has been. Um, Reports on some of the concussion testing testing that has uh, been done recently. Hugh was actually doing similar things for similar reasons in the early to mid nineties. So uh, he was a, a really well, uh, a highly regarded doctor in that profession in the medical industry uh, and a, a Bulldogs club man as well. So the club was lucky to have him. Australia was lucky to have him, and the NRL was definitely lucky to have him. Um, but yeah, unfortunately. Uh, yes. well, everyone's time has to come to an end on this planet. Um, that's a, that's a sad thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, just sad to see how our friends go. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said with the the head knocks and the research they've done into it, I know it's not the, the script, but uh, Steve Waterman was saying earlier this week, and it was reported on Fox Sports, that uh, he's starting to forget basic things, like his shopping lists and stuff like that, and he's wondering if it is linked with playing contact sport, but I guess the more research we do, the more we can find out. Yeah. Uh, we don't know if it's a natural causes or anything like that. There could be natural causes, but a reason why it's different. Uh, I don't want to talk down the uh, potential problems uh, coming from head knocks and concussion and everything, all the sports around the world are trying to knock down. But uh, Steve, just to let you know, mate, I forget my shopping list and people's names as well. And I didn't play first grade rugby league, so... Uh... <laughs> you want to have some wild Saturday nights then? <laughs> uh, maybe too many concussions in the schoolyard for me. I don't know. Oh, too many concussions when you're drinking. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm those concussions. Anyway, final we'll bit of, uh, of, this po- of this segment... We were trying to. We saw recently between the podcast episodes the ANZ Stadium's redevelopment. They had $810 million redevelopment, which turned the stadium into a 70,000 seat capacity, permanent rectangle, and also 90,000 for concerts. That doesn't really matter too much because I don't really see many Bulldogs players or anyone affiliated with the Bulldogs doing a concert at ANZ. But the Dale. rectangle stadium does. Or Dale Fanukin, the ex Bulldog. Alpha looking but yeah. I'll tell you what, I might buy tickets to the, I'll buy tickets to that. <laughs> uh yeah, so we've definitely got some uh, some wins and some losses here. Um I'm a fan of ANZ Stadium. For me, uh fantastic. There's gonna be a permanent rectangle. Um a couple of other wins include um the roof that's gonna cover all seats now. So how good is that? No excuse uh, to not go to a game in the rain. Um but at the same time it's not gonna be a completely closed roof, so the weather will affect the playing. I do like that, though. That, that's good. Yes, I like that's that. what I'm saying. Uh, like, for me, the uh, the um, the capacity being brought down to 70,000 is a bit disappointing, but I understand that the reason for that is to do with the roofing. Uh, 
and um, or the the lower bowl will be brought forward uh, to be very close to the action. So if you're sitting in the lower bowl, uh, uh, it will be a permanent rectangle and you'll be quite close to the action. Um, so that will be constructed again. I believe the higher tiers will remain where they are. But um, I've watched a few games from the higher tiers at ANZ Stadium and the viewing from up there is actually pretty good. You're not as close as you are at Faith West, obviously, but um, it's, it's not a bad view from up there. No, yeah, we've been up to level four a few times with the replica membership games. Yeah. That's not too bad. I've been at level six before. That's not too bad either. I mean, the walk is not ideal, but the actual viewing, if we're talking about viewing, it's not too bad. The only issue well, I do have, like you said, the capacity going down to 70,000. As you know, now ANZ with its current thing, it holds 83,500 off the top of the head, but it can move up to 84,000 with additional seats. Um so I was wondering, with this 70,000 capacity, is there a way we can maybe move it up to 75 or 80 for a grand final where they could maybe add additional seats to the well, venue? I, I hope so, but uh, that information hasn't been released as of yet. Yeah, because that's the one thing I hope, at least 80, because 80 sounds like a good figure for a grand final. Yeah. 70 starts looking a bit a bit low. And so surely, hopefully we can get at least high 70,000 where it's pushing 80 if they could add additional things, if it's just 70,000 when it just sits in a normal state, like it sits at 83,000, and then when they hold, host really big grandfathers, they sell it, they add the additional couple of, couple or maybe a thousand or two seats in there. So I hope there's a, a plan where they could maybe have another five or 10,000, that's a lot of seats. Or Hopefully, yeah. Or for standing room or something like that. If, like, if you know, not, you'd imagine the tickets for grand finals or set of origins to, uh, to rise. Uh, simple supply and demand, not the yeah. uh, not the fault of the NRL or the state leagues. It's just if you have any idea of how business works, uh, any basic idea of how business works, supply and demand. If it doesn't uh, expand to a higher capacity, then tickets might be a bit larger. But we'll see what happens. Um, I think that's it for this segment. Well, we'll go, we're, still got, we're still going one more. Oh, it's not a thrill. The Peter Mortimer, yeah, sorry, this one was broke, remember? Peter Mortimer oh, yeah. and Joel Thomas will join the Bulldogs board. Uh, this one actually broke as we are actually starting recording this, so we had to add it. That's why Matthew was about why to does, jump off to the next segment. Why does things always break when we hit the record button? I don't know. This could have been done yesterday. Because <laughs> I already updated this like twice today, and then we had to go again just before, as yeah. we start. So Peter Mortimer? Yeah. And Joel Thomas will join the board for, yeah, replacing the two who left earlier this year. Okay, fantastic. Hopefully they continue the good job. It looks like the club's being rebuilt in the right direction and hopefully that can continue. It's now time we actually look at who you've got edition and this week's the fullback edition. There was a poll added on Twitter. Uh, the players included Luke Patton, Rod Silver, Les Johns and Mick Potter. Some really great Bulldogs fullbacks. And uh, Luke Patton just beat Rod Silver with 34% of the votes. Rod Silver getting 32%. Les Johns getting 20%. And Mick Potter at 18 Are you surprised by that result? No. Okay. That was, I was expecting <laughs> you to actually go into depth a little bit because I'm a little bit surprised that's, that Luke Patton won. But out of those four players, that's pretty much how I'd have it as well. I, I agree oh. with the uh, with the poll. 
I thought maybe the younger age, because Luke Pratt was the most recent, and went, it almost went from recent, then they just joined just went and played with Potter. So I was worried because, like, you know, recent memory, you know, just remembering back, not thinking too far back. Oh. Uh, so my, fa- my favourite player there is um, Rod Silver. Well, I'd say that Luke Patton was uh, uh, the better overall fullback for the Bulldogs. That's a big... Uh... Well, it looks like you agree with the fans. I don't know. I thought. I mean, one stage Rod Silver had a little lead over Luke Patton, but Luke Patton just able to sneak home with the win. Uh, we've got yeah. a few more coming up. Sometimes they're going to be four people. There. Sometimes it'll be just the two people. We already did the uh, Mortimer vs. Lamb, and on both Twitter and Instagram, and Terry Lamb won both of them very convincingly, which was I thought was a bit surprising as well. We've got some more coming up. I'm not going to share them just yet. We're just going to randomly post them, and we're just going to talk about them on the podcast. Uh, I don't know. I thought maybe I don't know. Mick Potter's a Dalian winning fullback. Yep, he's a Dalian winner as and fullback of the year at the Bulldogs. So, so Luke Patton and, and Silver had longevity um, at the club as well. Um, and it is close. Luke Patton thirty four percent, Rod Silver thirty two. I think that's a good representation of how close it is as well. Maybe Luke Patton played the wrong era, like it was the era of Billy Slater or something. I don't know. He might have got fullback the Dalian Award or something. Yeah, he's quite an underrated player. Um, well, if that's good, should we get into the uh, next segment, the top five players in each position? We've said that we'll that we're going to do this for a uh, couple of weeks now. Um, yep. We'll, uh, we'll, tweet it, we'll tweet it in, won't we? Yes, it was a request for our off-season podcast. And I That's think it's right. a perfect time to start it when the actual NRL is actually finished. So yep. so there's no football, oh, not much football anymore apart from the international reps. But we know that's not as much. Uh, so so we've got fullbacks, fullbacks and, and wingers. wingers. And cool. wingers this week. Just, uh, we're probably just going to run through the team, I guess. We might have... Centres and five eights next week. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so we've got fullbacks and wingers. Uh, we'll start with, start with your top. Start with your top five, Scotty. Starting with the bottom, working our way up. So starting from the bottom. Yeah, okay, sweet. Yeah. No worries. So I'm going to put uh, number five. I'm going to put Ben Barber. Put all these off-field behind him. He was a uh, electric fullback. He won the Dally M. Uh, in that, oh, was it twenty? Yeah, twenty twelve. That fantastic season he had. First on the set, fortunately, some off-field issues saw him move around a bit. Uh, so it's probably why he doesn't get to go up any higher because he didn't play as long. But he was definitely was an exciting fullback. I uh, then move up to Luke Patton. Uh, hold on. Or oh, we're going with you on five. Yeah, we'll, we'll go one for one, eh? Hey? Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, we'll do that because I think that's what we did last time when we did um, something similar. Yes, the to Origin players. Yep. Origin players, right, yes. The best players cool. ever play Origin. That's right, okay. Uh, so at number five, I have Ben Barber as well. So <laughs> don't need to talk any more about Ben Barber, but we, you uh, could. We, both, we both agree that the fifth best fullback of the Bulldogs is you Ben Barber. Add, though if he got his off-field right, uh, he could have been the Bulldogs for a little bit longer and he could have been definitely up that list. He could have even been number one. He had that much you, talent. You, you could argue that he was the most exciting fullback. Yeah, he's probably had. one of the most talented. He's probably the most talented, but... yeah. That doesn't give you, doesn't make you number one if you're the most talented. All right, who you got at number four? I think this is where we start to start to disagree with you, but anyway. 
I've got Luke Patton at number four. Right, yep. So, uh, one of my favourite Bulldogs, though, of all time. Watching yep. him in 2004. Coming from the Dragons, very excited. Uh, plays, I don't know, he's just one of those team players that everyone loves, I think. I think that's one of the best things to say about him. He was really uh, solid. He really put his body into uh, the defence. I remember a um, particular tackle in New Zealand where he just smashed the winger straight at the sideline. Remember the commentary too. He's thrown everything, including the kitchen sink at him. Um, if, if, if you also look at the Adelaide game, I remember him. We take the Melbourne to Adelaide. Um, uh, it might be 2010 or something where we actually shocked Melbourne and won. And yeah. uh, Melbourne were actually going to score on the wing, and then Luke Patton actually used his head, I think, to knock both them to out. And I That's remember right. watching Dallie M's that year, and uh, they Luke said, oh, some, Yeah, the, the, the intro guy was like, Sometimes they say, Use your head to get the win. <laughs> and Luke Patton took that a little bit too literally and knocked himself out for the Bulldog shock. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. I thought that was a bit of a giggle. I remember that year, something like that on the comments. But yeah, you definitely When Luke Patton was in his prime, you got no one else sitting underneath a, a spiral bomb. Yeah, that's... Mr. Consistent, and he put everything into pretty much every performance um, in a real say, bulldog. To say that, though, like with his lazy eye, yeah, I just don't know how he does it. It makes it even better. <laughs> All right, well, for number four for me, I've got Greg Bretnell. Greg Bretnell, yes. So, uh, <laughs> going back a few generations here, that Greg Bretnell, uh. He was, he's a bulldog, isn't he? That's all you can say about him. He was uh, involved in quite a, uh, a famous try, uh, which we won't go into. But uh, Greg Bretnell uh, is taking out the fourth spot for me. Just, it's just such a good name before you even like Bretnell. Bretnell. <laughs> I just don't know. I just I reckon I'd be a commentator's dream. Yeah, man. Uh, gone back a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, quite the bit upset that I didn't put him I'm just a little bit upset that I didn't put him in. I don't know, I was tossing up between a lot. I was tossing up between a lot. And I don't know, I could have actually added him somewhere in the top five. Whoopsies. Well, I've got him at four. Who you got at number three? I've got Rocket Rod Silver. I agree. Number three, Rod, Rod Silver. Do you know what the best thing? I mean, when I was watching old games, I remember... Doing it as a job and watching Rod Silver play, I was like, what a player. There was, I don't know, just something about him. I really loved Rod Silver. Yeah, a bit of a, yeah, had a bit of X factor about him, but not in the sense of a Ben Barber. Uh, he was quite tough. Uh, good guy, too. I've met him a few times. That's uh, a police officer. Yeah. Um, he, one of those, like, we signed him from uh, Eastern. Again, I think all these players on this list, with the exception of Barber, you could just say that they are Bulldogs. That's, yeah. that's what a Bulldog player is. Um, and they, they fulfill that wholeheartedly. Rocket Rod Silver. Um, I remember him even playing on the wing a bit for us. Uh, he had something about him. And I don't know if this was just me, but in the 90s when we used to have that, uh, that grey-silver jersey and we had Rocket Rod Silver... Uh, I quite like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, that is a good one. That does look good. It just it'd be the face of that. <laughs> you uh, marketer, but unfortunately, you went there. Yeah, that's it. All right, I think we're going into number two, and uh, we've got another 
in the top two, we've got disagreements here. So let's go with you, Scotty. I've got Mick Potter at number two. So I've disagreed with the total poll vote of this poll. <laughs> I've got yeah. I know he's a Dalian winner. Uh, I know he did leave for, for St. George after a stint at the Bulldogs for a little bit from 93, from 83, sorry, to 88 before going to St. George and Western Reds. But I don't know, winning the Daly M Award, uh, playing in a tough era. Uh, what do you, I don't know. I think, I don't know if he's been forgotten about. I don't know. I just think he's a good, I think he's a good player. Obviously, I've put him at number two, so I obviously I think he's a good player. Uh, I know, but you could also say that he didn't get a fair crack at coaching. But that's not, yeah. not, not what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. Playing for. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying in general. Yeah, well, uh, that's a different kettle of fish. But Mick, uh, you're not in my top five. Sorry, mate. Um, but yeah, the Dalian winner. winner. He won a Dalian Award. So. He's the first ever Bulldog to win a Dalian Award. How does he not make the top five? Well, this is not the top five list of Bulldog Dalian winners. <laughs> well, if we did, we only have two. Yeah, no. <laughs> unless we had position, unless we had positions, you top that list. I think. Anyway, um, okay. Number two Love for me, second best fullback of all time for the Bulldogs is Luke Patton. So we've already spoken about him, so we won't go into it again. But he's taken out my second position. So we'll go into your into your first position, Scotty. I've gone back. I've gone to Les Johns as my number one. He's yeah. made the team of the. 80s, he's constantly talking about at Canterbury. Played such a long time, starting in 1963 to 1971, especially in that era with no like sports science and having a job outside of work and all that. Uh, he, he represented his state. I mean, not in origin because the origin didn't exist. Then he played for his country between uh, 63 to 69. So, uh, all while playing for the Bulldogs in one club. Yeah. Um... So, I think that it just said to me that he's number one. I thought he was five bits, to be honest. Fair enough. Uh, he gets drowned out in history a little bit, unfortunately, but uh, he uh, was quite the player as well. But I've got Scotty at number one, Stan Cutler. Oh! Yeah, so Stan Cutler. So I've gone back as well uh, here. Uh, yeah, you have. My number yeah. one player. Uh, Stan Cutler played between uh, 73 and 82. Um, dominant fullback of the 70s as well. He's actually our our uh, fourth highest cap player at fullback for 70 games. He's scored 26 tries and 26 goals. So, uh, yeah, sorry. That's a good pick. I didn't have Stan in mind. I actually was, I was looking at Stan and putting him in and I don't know. I actually was tossing up between him and Ben Barber for number five, and you got him at number one. But um, with Stan, and you just said something, number four was 70 games. Yeah, I know. A four-face cap fullback. So where does the current crop sit in our team? Like more recent players, like someone like Sam Parrott, where does he sit? Or someone like Will Hopper-White, who played a bit of fullback in Dallin and Nick Meaney. Where do they well, kind of sit? When no, we're we doing our research for this, there's not many players that have actually played a long period of time at fullback for us, uh, which is quite surprising, assuming that uh, 1935 was our establishment year. Like Luke Patton played 226 games at fullback for us. He's number one. Number two okay, is... That's, that's good. Number, which is good. Number two is Rod Silver at 98. So it's quite a drop there. Ooh, that's um, a big drop. There's not even 150. It's a massive drop. But if we look at current fullback, 
Dallin Watili Zalizniak. He's played 10 matches at fullback for us. He's currently our 26th highest cap fullback. That's crazy. Where's Nick Manny sitting again? Didn't he play so Nick, 12? Nick, Nick Manny's one position above him in 24th. Okay, yep. What about someone um, like Sam Perrett who played a few uh, a few filling games and then he played a whole season yeah. or two at fullback? So Sam, he, Sam, Sam Perrett's played 36 games at fullback for the club and he's 10th most player at that position for us. Jeez, that's that's. Crazy. So, like, like it's crazy. Saying, off, off microphone, Scotty, if Dower Watelli's Ozzyak plays an entire season next year, let's say he plays 24 games, that would give him 34 games, and he'd be you'd go from 26 to 11th after so, playing yeah. a season and a half of us. So, Not as a big prediction to make in the future, but there's a good chance, with Dallin being a young fullback, and big people forgetting how young he is because he's been in the NRL for a little while, mm-hmm. is there's a good chance that he, he could really shake for that number one position. Well, if he has a long career, for sure. But he's, um, Definitely number yeah. two was in sights, for sure. I'm saying 226 games at one club is a... 200 games at one club is a great achievement. Uh, but definitely the 98 games, I'm sure he would have... That's in sight. I mean, obviously, the other factors and stuff we can't like talk about, we can't predict... Well, Injuries but, and stuff, yeah. But if we just continue Dallin not getting severe injuries and anything like that in the future, he could definitely, at his young age, shake for, for Luke Patton and uh, clips him, but he's number two, surely. Well, well, he's only signed to the end of next year, so we'd have to re-sign him and all those kind of things, but yeah. I think he, I think he's a safe one. I, yeah, I, can't so see him leaving. I can't see him leaving after what he's been saying about how much the love of the game has been brought back by the Bulldogs. But that's another yeah. story. Where could... Now we just what we just talk about fullbacks. Dallin plays, I don't know, maybe six, seven years with the Bulldogs. Would he be in the top five? Because I reckon he could definitely be in the top five. Yeah, well, if he's played, if he doesn't have any major injuries, if he's played six or seven years, that's um, 140 games plus 10. So that would put him in second if he hasn't got any big injuries. All right, now it's uh, top five for the Lakers now, Scotty. Um, it is that you wanted me to start. Yeah, the, I want you to start this time. Yeah, right, I want you to start number five. We'll go from go from the bottom to the top again. At number five, I have Bryson Goodwin. Oh, what a player! Yeah, uh, the um, New Zealand international played uh, in quite a successful Bulldogs side outside Josh Morris uh, in a couple of very successful years for us. Uh, Good goal kicker, uh, good try finisher, good club man, no matter what team he played for. Well, my number five uh, uh, is Sam Parrott. I was actually going to do an intro and I got stuck. But uh, Mr. Consistent as a winger, uh, good finisher. But remember when he first came to the club, we just couldn't lose when he first jumped <laughs> midway through. Took us to... He had two grand finals with us. I mean, unfortunately, didn't get to win one. Uh, so much so, actually, uh, one of my favourite memories, uh, well, not my favourite, but one of the memories that sticks up to me that shows that everyone loves Sam Parrott was when we were playing at Allianz Stadium against the Panthers and uh, we ended up losing that game. It was ended up being his final event our old game. He was playing with this, the neck injury and the Panthers fans gave him a chant, chanting out Sammy's. Sammy, and that was from the opposition fans, and they gave him an absolute chance and a really a standing ovation after the Panthers beat the Bulldogs. And they definitely, I mean, that just shows how 
how good he is and how respected he was across the rugby league world to get that from the opposition fans. I think as far as Wiggers go, he was the best dummy half runner I've seen. Oh, wasn't he? he I think he was the one. Oh, I mean, um, other players obviously started, but I think he was the most craftiest one. All right, I'll go into number four. Number four for me is U-Turn. Matt Utai. Oh, wow. Number four. So Matty Utai. 2004 Grand Final winger. The pocket rocket. Um, got a bit of a thing going on here. Scott, you've gone. We've gone. We've talked about Rocket Rod Silver. We've got Sam Perrin who came across from the Roosters as well. And uh, another sort of pocket rocket in Matt Utai. Um, barge over tries. Barge over people wherever he is on the field. His legs were like tree trunks. He, he had some pace about him as well. Famous for uh, one of the best Falcons I've ever seen as well. <laughs> At the West Tigers. What a 2004 try, though, in the grand final for Matty yeah. Utah. What a, what a legend of the club. Uh, I'm going to go to my number four. Yeah. And uh, my number four just won the grand final is actually Brett Morris. He was... Yeah. At the Bulldogs, only four four seasons and he only notched up 68 games but my goodness did he make a difference when he was playing he was one of those wingers I don't know he's, he's in that generation of wingers when they really can make a difference to your team when they're playing or not and uh, you know getting the set to a good start uh, he made something with his brother out of something out of nothing type of player uh, he's yep. just dangerous wherever on the field so and he just won a grand final so congrats to him anyway well congrats to him but uh uh, I've had him at number four, and he could have definitely been up the list if he stayed at the Bulldogs for a longer period of time. Fair enough. Uh, number three, I have Steve Gearin. Uh, Steve. Oh, a notion towards a pretty famous event that happened in the 80s uh, with Greg Bretnell. Gearin was on the other end of it. Um, so, yeah, played for us through the 80s, of course. Steve Gearin was a tremendous winger. And not just a tremendous winger, Steve Gearin. He was also one of our old dogs. <laughs> That's good. Well, there you go. Hopefully it becomes a thing in the future where you've been honoured to make it. Yeah, it'll be up there if he's uh, playing achievements, won't it? Hope so. <laughs> we can only hope. Made the old uh, dog segment. All right, who have you got at number three? I've got a man who came from North Sydney. Uh, tremendous goalkeeper. One of the best goalkeeper at his time. For his time, Dale Halligan played 166 games for the club, 57 tries, and he was kicking at over 80 percent for such a for over for 160 games. What a goal kicker! What a player! Uh, I don't know. He was just what a what a player! What a person he is! I don't know. I'm a big fan of his commentary. I know other people aren't, but I just absolutely love Dale Halligan. I like Dale Halligan's commentary as well, kicking from a shallow bath. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, it's a bit different as well. So that's what I enjoy. I actually missed the Sky commentary on Fox, on Fox League. So I say bring it back. But um, Daryl Halligan, the oh, can I say the original super boot? Uh, that guy on occasion couldn't miss. He's probably the first uh, first player that you could probably call the super boot, and then it was taken over pretty quickly. Um, uh, what a, uh, also uh, one of the greatest goal kicking coaches as well. He's turned it into a thing. He is, uh, as far as wingers go, he's this big, uh, lanky, 
uh, solid guy. Um, wasn't easy to take down. Uh, I think if you think of Daryl Halligan, you think of the 1998 semi-final against Parramatta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you've got him at, what, number three there? Yeah. Going into so number two, I've got from... another player from the 80s, Chris Anderson. So a, a legend of the club for uh, on-field and off-field. Uh, Chris Anderson was part of the, the entertainers, of course. Um, and, yeah, just an all-around Bulldogs legend. Yeah, Bulldogs legend. Oh, yeah, the Anderson. It's just Bulldogs name when you hear that last name, eh? Yes, indeed. Bit... Well, I'll go to my number two, and he was already on your list. I rated him higher. I put Matt Utai just purely based on a finisher he is. Hard to stop when he's close to the line. And the reason why I put him up so high, as well as number two, every time it was a big game, it felt like he always lifted. He was up for the big games. He played in a, a very successful side and had a, a lot of combinations that we have spoken about. Matt Utai, so I'm going to go into my number one winger of all time for the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs, and it's a player whose try-scoring ability is probably overshadowed by a number of other things, but I've gone with Hazard, El Madrid. Well, he's my number one as well. well there you go. Hazard, El Madrid, number one. Uh, his goal-kicking is the second super boot, I would say, um, but his try-scoring ability. What about that? 161 tries from 300 games. That's incredible. Even if you look at his uh, his last season for the club, he was even when he was getting on with age, he was still scoring them well. He had 14 tries in his last season. Yeah. 14 tries in your last season. That's, that's up there at, the, at the, like some of the top. Like there was a few years. There's a couple. He's got 19, 17, 14, consistently scoring them. Tries, and yeah. you even go back even in two thousand and nine. I remember versus the, the Panthers. I know it's not that he's probably up there with his career high, but scoring a hat trick at Ames and standing against the Panthers. Actually, I believe it was your birthday. Actually, June eighteenth, two thousand and nine. Oh, I actually lived your birthday. Uh what? But, but uh, yeah, I think it was your birthday where he scored yeah. a hat trick. There you go. The yeah, interesting thing about Hazard El Masri is that um. 2,418 points uh, in his career that started in 1996, but he didn't become the full-time goal kicker until 2001. In yeah, 1990, 1999, he kicked 9 from 12. That's uh, part-time there. Uh, next year, he kicked nothing. So before 2001, he kicked nine goals and played um, five seasons. So, yeah, well, if he started he, even in year two, if he was kicking from the beginning, who knows what he could have ended up on. Uh, yeah, absolute, crazy. absolute freak of a player. That's so our top five for fullbacks and wiggers. So um, tell us why we're right. Tell us why we're wrong. Uh, send in your top five to us. All right, Scotty, even though it is a Bulldogs podcast, this is one of our favourite segments. We end each show with uh, Rugby League World. So what have we got yeah. for this week? Well, I just thought we'll start off because we haven't been here in a while with the Daily M Awards. Uh, I'm not going to spit through all of them, but was there any shock that James Tedesco won the top gong? 
Uh, probably not. Well, uh, I suppose a controversial one for some people was coach of the year went to Craig Bellamy. But I think if you understand that it actually gets stopped at round 25, it being six yeah. points clear, I think it was a no-brainer. I think people need to stop getting off the thing that just because you went to a bad side or coached a bad side to a good side doesn't give you automatic things that people call for Dennis Hazard and Brad Arthur to be coach of the year. Don't think it'll well, automatically get you there just because you're coaching a... Mel- yeah, well, normally um, that's the way this award seems to be, seems to go. Uh, all the daily awards are from round one to round twenty-five. Uh, the coach of the year, uh, Craig Bellamy. Well, they came first by what, six point margin. Yeah, so three wins. I don't know how anyone can argue that uh, the team that finishes minor premiers with a six six point margin at the top of the table, how the coach is not coach of the year. I'm not sure, but. There you go. People are just giving us that. Like the funny thing with Brad Arthur, Brad Arthur was actually the coach of the Eels last season and this season. He's been a coach for a while at the Eels. Yeah. He's been going up and down like a yo-yo. So I think that almost eliminates him. And uh, do people actually remember that Des Hazler was the, the reason why Manly were in the mess in the first place? Yeah. But he'd have other... to win by twenty points before I'd start considering him to be coach of the year from from a mess he started. Well, none of, none of that should come into. Uh... Contention. It's just what happens between round one and round twenty-five. But um, I think a lot of this thing is, and I probably get a lot of people disagreeing here, but um, I think I'm, I'm spot on. Is that there's a anti Melbourne Storm uh, consensus amongst the majority of the fans for one reason or another, whether it's that they're so successful, whether it's because. Um, they had salary cap issues, uh, a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the, the general fan out there has an anti-Melbourne Storm uh, brain or an agenda and uh, would rather, yeah, uh, Ricky Stewart to win the Coach of the Year award or, like you said, Brad Arthur, Des Hasler, uh, despite the fact of all the achievements Craig has done. The other thing with Craig, Scotty, is uh, look at the team he had this year. It wasn't a team full of superstars like he's had previously. Um, yeah, so to coach those young players into that there's, level. There's been a lot of players filling gaps in that team. Uh, players like um, like Papahusen, who was he before the start of this year? Um, they even had a player, uh, I think his name was Nickel, who uh, Nickel Hines came yep. and played one game and didn't look out of place at all. It looked like it was, he was the next Billy Slater himself and he played one game. Um, so, like, obviously the coaching structure down at the Melbourne Storm is amazing and that's led by Craig Bellamy. So, well-deserved. Another controversial one, just because I think it was Melbourne was capital of the year, went to Cameron Smith. And I think Ooh. what we just summed up, six-point lead of the competition, it's very hard to say that you're not captain of the year when you want to yeah. lead the competition by six points. I think the same almost points come from the coaching would go to the captaining. Like That's they right. drive the coach I would say wants to show the what the direction of the club and the captain's the one who's got to buy into it and get the players on side. Same and thing really with the like, coach. Um the captain's the on field coach. If you captain a team to a three point lead at the top of the competition table, must be a reason for it. Um yeah. 
I don't know much more to say about that. Again, I said most of it was yeah. the Craig Bellamy stuff. Anti Bellamy storm, agenda amongst fans, and I uh, don't think that's warranted or fair at all. Well, I'm just, I'm just looking. I'm just, don't announce all the winners, but I was just saying maybe Ken Ramalo, who won the winger of the year from the Warriors. I thought he's fantastic. Uh, some people are upset that I think Mike Acevo couldn't win the award because he was suspended twice, but there's a reason why it's best and fairest, not best. You have to be yeah. playing for good spirit. So I actually enjoyed watching Ken Ramalo play. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's um, probably the ex- best player. As exciting as Sivo is, there's still quite a bit for Sivo to learn um, as far as reels, <laughs> a couple of reels go, and uh, maybe a little bit in defence. Um, just not so much his tackling, just uh, fitting into structures and stuff like that. Uh, so I think Sivo's got a little bit of way to go. He'll definitely get there. Um, but yeah, suspended twice, can't have it anyway, so there you go. Yeah, I suppose another one, or not Obviously controversial, but one where there was very much uh, some really good talent going for lock of the year. We had like Javojevic, uh, Victor Radley. I mean, Victor Radley played a bit of hooker this year as well, so it might have hindered his chances at lock of the year. But Cameron Murray winning the lock of the year. I mean, there's a few, like I just mentioned, two young players. There's a few good locks going around right now. But I think, to be honest, I think Cameron Murray's the best. Well, this year he's been the best, I think, but I think he's the best one of them all. Yeah, if I had to pick a lock out of the competition, I'd pick either Radley from last year's form or Murray from this year's form. Yeah, I think I don't know. I really like him and Murray. I think he's a fantastic yeah. player. I think I would have him uh, running well, on. I, I'd have but I, I think I'd start with somebody like um, like if Lucifer Files team. I'd start with Radley. But I think he can. Uh, like not locking uh, Murray's defence at all, but Radley's got a little bit extra in defence. And then uh, after 25 minutes, you throw Cameron Murray on the field and he gets those fives. He's trying to get those super quick play the balls that um, Damian Cook can run off uh, with a tired defensive line. I think that's the perfect way to go. Um, Interchange bench player of the year, which is uh, always fun. Interesting thought was Brendan Smith. I find this award a little bit interesting. I always think that even if you are on the interchange bench, you should be able to win position player of the year, especially if you're playing long minutes from the bench. Like players coming off the bench playing 50 and 60 minutes off the bench uh, affords position. Yeah, I, I don't think I necessarily agree that there needs to be a interchange player. That's what, yeah. Award. I agree because um, I think you go for that position. Even if Brendan Smith, I mean, oh, he's been playing a number of positions, but mainly lock. Which yeah. he could, to me, he could have been someone who could actually go for lock of the year, even though he's a genuine hooker. Yeah. Anyway. He's someone who could be lock of the year. He could have been added there. But anyway, he was in a change of bench player of the year. Um, I don't really think there's overly too much to be surprised from. I mean, it is what it is. I think the, the ones we brought up would cause the most outroll with the Melbourne players. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say rookie of the year went to Payne Haas the monster from Brisbane. You, you had players like Bronson Sherry. He could have went or was up there. But uh, I agree with... I pretty much agree with all of the awards, to be honest. Well, that's good. Let's move on, then. That's sweet. Uh, let's, we're going to go pretty much into the grand final, the biggest event of the week. So it's just... Yeah, uh, so next more topics, uh, grand final. <laughs> yeah. Uh, One Republic was the 
leading acts with a few. They had a few Aussies throughout the day, but One Republic was the uh, the main act for the grand final. What did you think of One Republic? I thought they were amazing. Um, I thought they were a really good fit for the NRL, and the set that they played was a good set. Um, and the atmosphere looked to be buzzing, and uh, the place was looked to be rocking. And um, it's great for the NRL to be able to pull someone of the stature of One Republic. Uh, I might be a bit biased because I'm quite a big One Republic fan. Uh, I go to Spotify, search One Republic, and just play whatever comes on. And uh, I think nine times out of ten, if not more, I really like the song. But um, I thought that was great. Um, I even tweeted that out on the night. I'm a... You know what? I wouldn't say I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a One Republic fan. I yeah. knew a bit about, I knew a few of their songs, like their biggest one, Counting Stars, and stuff like that. But when they kept singing, one of my favorite joys when I was listening to them was actually I was like, "Ooh, I like that song. Ooh, I like that song. Ooh, I didn't know they yeah. sang that." It was more surprised to me because I'm not over familiar with them. And yeah. for them to keep singing songs, and I was like, "I actually know that one. I like that one. I like this one." Oh, that yeah. I didn't know they sang that, and I like that song. So that was pretty cool to actually say I might have been uh, a secret One Republic fan. I didn't realize I was. So I actually thought they were a good, a good thing with one, fit. one a bit of fun as well. One Republic is that they've done a lot of events like this before in America. I think they've played at the basketball or the hockey. I think they've opened the opened the NFL season. Um, so they know how to do these type of events, and I thought they did a really good job. Yeah, I've. I'll give them a big tick. Uh, hopefully from next year, I don't know, if you had to say right now, who would you be eyeing off for next year? <laughs> would you have someone in mind that you wouldn't mind to hit the NRL oh. final? Oh, question on the spot. Uh, yeah, I know, that wasn't planned, it, by the way, people. It'd be, it'd be good to get like a duet between Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift, I reckon. Ooh, the T-Swizzle <laughs> and the, the Ed, the Red. Who leads up who? I don't know if the NRL could afford that. <laughs> I was going to go with someone. Uh, what Bruno Mars would be pretty cool. I don't know why. Yeah. Probably be pretty. I think he's uh, really good with crowds. So I thought he'd have been pretty cool. But he did the Super Bowl not that long I ago. Think, so yeah, I mean it would cost a fair bit. Those three. I'd prefer well, them to go with a bit of like a rocky, a rock feel. I reckon. Yeah, Bruno can fit that. I reckon. <laughs> All right, let's go on. Yeah, okay, now we actually talked about the football, even though I had fun talking about the Musos. Uh, the Roosters trainer. Oh, goodness gracious, copped the ball. Was it two minutes in, two and a half minutes in? Not even, wasn't five minutes, but copped the ricochet off a Raiders player, off a Raiders player, which is Soliola. Yep. I think, was it Bateman on the run? Or was it... Whitehead. Whitehead. I always, oh, I don't know why I keep thinking Bateman. I mean, he actually told me before it was Whitehead. <laughs> we had the clear path. To the trial, I'm not saying he was going to get there, but oh goodness, then that race that Roosters trying to save them one there. Yeah, I, I don't know if the Raiders would have scored, but they would have definitely uh, got the ball in really good field position really early on in the game. Um, people have been debating the rule, which is probably a conversation that, as a game, we need to have in the off season. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the rule, but um, obviously, the correct call happened on the field. It's just really unlucky for the Raiders that. Uh, the Roosters scored a try off the back of it. Yeah, so the yeah, so the was the referees did the right thing yeah. by making the call. They made the call. It was a correct call. If it hits an official, it just goes to the the team with in the attacking position, the scrum, 
to get the scrum feed, which unfortunately uh, went to the Roosters because it was just on that side of the halfway and they scored a try off it. Yeah, so it goes to the team with the attacking territory. Yeah, thank you. That would have been better word. But if you look at that, it was a orange shirt trainer, which is the medical trainer for people who don't know. What's he doing on the field three minutes in? Like, if you've got a medical person on the field three minutes in on a grand final, they shouldn't be playing. The player, who, who was he checking on? I didn't see well, a tackle. I think Todd Greenberg has come out and said that um, throughout the offseason, and I don't know which part of the offseason this will be, whether it will be more pre-season next year or whether it will be in the next couple of weeks, um, that there would be uh, some talk and some maybe some real changes around uh, trainers on the field. So I think that's probably long overdue. So um, it's getting worse. Some good out of it, but um, unfortunately for the Raiders, it led to a try. Uh, I think the easiest way to fix this, I've heard some different opinions. I think the craziest one was a penalty against the team's trailer that it hits. I don't think I necessarily necessarily agree with that. Um, we do need to get to a a uh, like a position where the players on the field, um, the trainers, sorry, the trainers are only on the field when they need to be. Uh, and if it does hit a trailer of your team uh, by accident, I don't think the team should be penalised if the trailer is generally, uh, genuinely on the field to do its job. Uh, and I don't want trainers to be become a target <laughs> on the field as well for opposite teams to kick at. But what I would like to change with the rule, I think the easiest way to do it is instead of the team in the attacking territory half getting the scrum, it should be the team in the defending territorial half. Um, so in this instance, it would have been the scrum to the Raiders because it was in 45 minutes on their side of halfway. Um, and I think the reason, the reason I would like this rule is that um, we keep... Uh, the rule stays pretty traditional, but also it, uh, less likely to result in points. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, but... that's the that's the big thing that happened. The Roosters got a whole set of six inside the Raiders' half at no fault of the Raiders. If you change it to the defensive territory, the Raiders would be starting a set and having to work it out their own half. So one thing I want to look at this new trainer thing is that. The orange shirt person, which is the medical guy, has can come on and off the field as he pleases. Yeah. Because he's the medical man or female. Yeah. The medical person. The blue shirt's the assistant coach, and he can go on in the attacking sets. Yeah. And he can tackle... Once he hits tackle four, he needs to get off the field. So he can't coach him into a kick. But we see people like Alfie Langer and Peter Wallace constantly push that to the next level. And your yellow shirt, I believe, comes on after big stoppages of plays or sometimes assist because they're your strength and conditioner with injuries. If there's like yeah. a maybe a serious injury, they might assist with the blue shirt. I think it's the, the orange shirt, I don't know, Eastern, they, the coaches have known that the blue shirt usually runs out the messages on which players do what. But now the orange shirts have been used to that while they can't be on the field, while the blues can't be on the field. Because you run an orange one out instead, and he can he can still speak. So, do we need to eliminate how many trainers we have on the field? Who's allowed to have on be on the field at all times? Do we only have one trainer per team who can be on the field? 
while the game's going. Uh, yeah, maybe. Because um, you could have teams sometimes having the like an attacking set having orange and blue on the field at the same time. Yeah, running I, out different I, messages. I, I really don't know how to fix it. It's good that the NRL's got to get together and all the best minds are going to think about it. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully they come to a solution with that one. Um, maybe there's only one trainer that's allowed to run on the field unless it's like a severe, like broken bone or something. Well. Do we start looking at other sports and seeing how they do interchanges and eliminate the blue trainer? Yeah, I mean, we could do an interchange like, with uh, the middle line. Like you see in soccer, they hold up the big big sign with the light saying which number's coming off, which number's going on. In rugby union, I think, I'm not 100% sure, do the interchanges at stoppage of plays only, stuff like that. Maybe we look at Maybe that, we, that way we, we, eliminate, we eliminate the need of a blue shirt. Maybe we could do any changes on the 50-meter line or something where a player has yeah. to enter from the 50-meter line, yeah, which is needs not, to be official sit. I don't I'm know. not sure, but uh, maybe there'll just be tighter restrictions on what the trainers can do, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, just, just going on this, Scotty, this is quite a long rugby league run, so let's do it in two parts. Okay, guys, uh, for the first time ever, rugby league world has gone into a part two. We're going to dive straight into it. Scotty, what's next up on the agenda? It's, of course, the six again call. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest talking point out of the grand final was the six again call. Uh, definitely. I would actually like to hear what you thought of that before I actually jump in on my It was the biggest blunder I've seen from a referee since Cronulla scored a try off the seventh tackle. Oh, wow. That's a big, big call. Yeah. Um, you've gone against their own rule book in changing a call mid, mid-play. Uh, rule book. Uh, I had this. I don't know what the section is. I was looking at it earlier. But the rule book states that once a referee has signaled something, um, it has to stay that way unless if there's foul play. So... There was definitely no foul play. No, so, um, yeah. Uh, the call at the end of the day was correct. It probably, I agree, it probably shouldn't have been six again. But once Ben Cummins has waved his hands, Jack White had seen it. Um, he's then decided to, uh, because he's seen the hand wave, to go to ground and give his team the best possible chance at scoring points with a new set. Um, possibly a seven tackle set could have been. Um, then he stood up to be told that it's not a six again, it's a handover. And unfortunately, uh, for everybody, including the Roosters, the Roosters uh, run up the field while the Raiders are still trying to work out what's happening and uh, score off their, their second try. So both tries for the Roosters having a little bit of a, an asterisk. Yeah, that's... yeah. One which the rules shouldn't be like that, but is like that. So there you go. I, I've just I've just found it. Rule sixteen point nine of the two thousand nineteen NRL rulebook states this: the referee judges on matters of fact and shall not subsequently alter those judgments. He may cancel any decision made if prior foul play of which he had no knowledge is reported to him by a touch judge. Yep. Well, just. You know, the biggest blunder was the seven tackle set. I think that was Matt Check and, and Henry Paranara ref in that game. I think Matt Check took over midway through, which caused the seven I tackle. Think, 
yeah. The biggest blunder since then, yeah. I think I think there's been a bigger blunder since, but not with that much meaning. Go on. I'm going to go off the Sharks-Raiders game where they actually put this flag up and made all the Raiders players stop. And I'm sorry, the Raiders, they, they're, just, they're copying a bit of, blunder, a bit of blunders last year. And the Sharks ended up scoring the tie, which, which changed... Yeah, which changed the actual context of that match. The Raiders were definitely in it. And then the Sharks scored a try. Uh, once a flag goes up, it means stoppage of play. I don't know, the touchy, mm. I'm pretty sure the touchy was more referring to a touch by Sharks. Then yeah, not on once the flag goes up, flag it was up. last year. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was actually wrong way the touchy did it. By not putting, he shouldn't have put his flag up because no one went out. However... Yeah. I'm just pr- I was pretty certain there was a touch there. It was one of those debates one where I think the Sharks touched and went forward and they still scored. And the bunker actually gave it a try. And that was yeah. refereed by Gerard Sutton. And I think yeah, Gerard Sutton butchered that complete moment up completely. Well, everyone, butch- everyone butchered that. Touch Sharks butchered it. The lead referee butchered it by sending it up to the bunker. Um, then and then the bunker, bunker, bunker should have seen what happened. The easiest way around that is I'm not 100% sure if it's still in the rule book. But... Before video technology, touch judges were able to raise their flag um, and walk onto the field. So yes. if something happened in back play, the referee hasn't seen, touch judge would put his flag up and walk into the field, and the referee would see that and stop the game, go over and see what's happened, and make a decision based off that. So with that one, the easiest thing would have been to just call it the forward pass, which or I think a on, yeah. well, or a knock-on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the yeah. ball went forward in that instance. And that would have well. saved everyone. And it would have saved everyone. Would have saved everyone. But when you asked me the question, I was thinking more finals, because obviously knockouts sort of stuff. Um, oh, yeah. In the context of actually big moments or yeah. season-defining moments, like that wasn't the end for the Raiders or anything. It was just was that blunder. I couldn't believe it when I was watching it. And I'll leave it for, but break the six again. Well, well again, the six again, if we're talking, like, even the six again, I don't think that cost the Raiders the grand final. But what it did do was took away a chance of them, their best chance of them winning it. In my, well, in my opinion. Well, um, they, the, you probably could argue that um, off the next defensive set, they could have been better. But the way the game was going, um, I think the Raiders were robbed of their best chance to win the game. But it's not why they lost the game. No, I agree. But I was going back to that six again call. When I was, I've watched the replays multiple times and the different angles. I think uh, Charles Nickel Clockstad and James Sinesco went up together, and it's no doubt it's hit the Raiders player and Charles Nickel Clockstad on the shoulder. I looked yeah. how closely they both got together, and both of them were very, very close. And yeah. there's one replay that convinces me James Sesco makes a touch at it, and another replay shows me I'm not overly convinced. Yeah. Well, so the other. With any call, then, if they called six again, and me watching that, I'm happy to go with six again. But I'm also happy to go five and last because it was so tight. But then you could also even look at the Raiders knocking it onto the Roosters, and the Roosters knock on. You could have called a double knock on, which might have saved them a little bit. But I'm just not convinced that it didn't necessarily come from Roosters. I'm not saying they got 100% right, but I can live with any call they made them because it's too close to the naked eye to make a real solid decision. What I'm upset about, like I said, is the six again. No, sorry, five and last. I actually know there's a Twitter page called The Oracle. He does the 15 to 1 moments, usually from the 70s for different moments. Okay, yep. 
he's a big Roosters fan. He's very much one-eyed Roosters fan. Okay, yeah. Uh, he was saying, and I'm just using him as an example because I want to just tear him apart in a second, that he was saying <laughs> that the referee screamed out, five and last, five and last, five and last, four times. And we're not disagreeing that Ben Cummings did attempt to like overcall his decision, which was which is the wrong thing to do. But in front of 82,992 uh, people, eight people short of 83,000 people, so we'll say 83,000 people, how are you going to hear a referee from 20 metres away screaming out five and last when that's why they do hand signs because you don't have to hear the referee? Yeah, well, you can't hear a referee from 10 minutes away when there's 83,000 people all screaming at once. And in that particular time of the game, it was eight all in the final 10 minutes and one team was on the attack. Everyone in the crowd would have been screaming one way or another. If you're a Rangers so, fan, you would have been uh, getting really excited. If you're a Roosters fan, you're screaming out, oh, crap, defend, sort of thing. In those moments, especially in the grand final, in front of 83,000 people, you're not going to hear a fish. Yeah, Plus... Plus, players, players don't look twice. Something happens, player gets the ball. First, most important thing is to get the ball because possession's key. Look at the referee for a signal, and then they play off the signal. They don't play and then stop halfway through playing. Oh, is that call still the same? Because uh, the other thing is, how many times have we heard referees uh, in the last couple of years say something along the lines of, when players are arguing with them, they say something along the lines of, you know what? I could be wrong, but I can't change it. Oh, yeah. Well, I've, I've made the course. So they're, they're, not, they're not admitting that they're wrong. They're saying that there's a possibility that they could be wrong because they've got to make a decision in a split second. But either way, they can't change it. Yeah. Uh, um, and so that, that's all you need to know. Plus, I've already read out the rule. What, I, I think once I read out, or not just me, but once you read that rule, there's no doubt about it. It's um, wrong. Yeah, that's but right. another, it just goes into a different debate. Do we have one referee? That, that's what I was going to bring up myself, actually. Um, that, that's, that's come up for the first time in a long time um, uh, in, a, in a meaningful way. Should we go back to one referee? I, I say yes. Uh, I prefer the test. Like if you watch test matches, the World Cups, Super League, I think it's better with one ref. The NRL records, they got stats saying the game's a better price with two refs. Um... I think you get twice as much drama with calls out of two refs. Also, people talk about feel of the game. I think it's hard for referees to have a feel of the game when there's two referees. They might have two different feelings. Uh, I'm not talking about getting calls the same or different from referees or communication being different. I'm talking about just the feel of the game. Um, I feel like back when we had Bill Harrig and Sean Hempstead Paul Simpkins, uh, Steve Clark, those type of referees, because they were in charge of games solely, they had a, more of a feel of the game and could uh, let the game flow more or pull it up when they had to uh, than they do these days. Uh, do I see us going back to one referee? <laughs> no. But another, then another debate would came from that, not with the two refs, but the, they had two senior officials this year. Yeah. With Ben Cummings and Gerard Sutton, there was actually times when Gerard Sutton was making calls and he actually uh, called a penalty only that to the Roosters, I think it was, for holding on too long in a tackle and the yeah. Raiders. And by look at that, I don't think Ben Cummings, just I'm watching on TV, I don't think Ben Cummings was overly happy with that call. I think he was happy to let it play. And well, Gerard Sutton was going to be the lead, I suppose, in the control section there. 
and uh, Ben Cummings was standing over the play of the ball, and he didn't say anything, and the next minute there's a penalty. Usually you'd hear the lead referee, yeah. especially if he's in that position, call out penalty or hand on the well, ball or something like that to get the penalty. It's quite quite hard to comment um, because not everything that the referees say on the ref mics come through the TV. Uh, That's the, true. the broadcasters can turn those mics up and down as well. So you don't know what's come through from a touching or something like that. Uh, the other thing is that this season, um, listening to Ref's Roundup uh, podcast with uh, Gavin and Casey Badger, I think we've referenced it before, they have stated that this, uh, I think this year in large year with the two referee system, um, there's no... 70-30 split or 50-50 split or anything like that uh, between the two referees. And it's uh, up to the lead ref to have like a team meeting before the game and have everyone of his other officials be on the same page in the way that the lead ref wants to run the game. So we don't know, maybe uh, for the grand final, um, that was the plan going into the game. Yeah. That but they what about... each, each take head, head rolls different times. Um, for whatever reason, we don't know. What about um, we look at like you sort of look, we looked at two Gerard Sutton was a senior official every game this year. Yeah, um, there's been times that like I think the last five years he's been dropped to the pocket and he seems to always get back up to number one or number two in the rankings all the time. I mean, we can talk that's a different thing, but is there a way that we maybe have a grand final? And you know how you had someone like Gavin Badger this year who was assistant every almost every week. Yeah, by him. You look at like some of the other assistants. You probably look at someone like Henry Paranara, who assists a lot. I uh, blend Sharp maybe as well, who's came in and been assistant. But someone like is it a, a specialist position now? Yeah, Where, for me, for someone... me, I don't agree with that. Like for me, I think you just have the best two refs, um, and they're both uh, they're full time referees. So they at training they all train both. So. No, it's not the same yeah. as match play, but for me, you've got to have your best two refs out there. I'm not saying that Ben Cummins and Gerard Sutton are the best two refs in the competition. Well, Gerard Sutton. I think, I, I think the model of having your two best out there is probably the best. I'd go, further. I'd, go, I'd even go further into the lower grades. I see these lower grade grand finals being refereed by certain referees because they're the best referee in that grade throughout the year. I don't agree with that either. I think you pick the best available official. So if that means... Gavin Badger and Henry Perinara refereeing the Canterbury Cup grand final or the or national championship or Queensland Cup or whatever. Uh, that's the way you go. But I do agree with that. I do like that. Yeah, and that's me. And even, even your touchies as referees. Referees as touch coaches in the finals games. I like that as well. If you had like Grant Atkins as a touch judge. He's touched. He's done over 100 games as touch judge in the NRL. Right. Back up and down. Let's move to the next one, I think. Uh, Roosters go back-to-back. Can they do the three-peat? Uh, I'm going to say no. They can't do a three-peat. Uh, how hard it is to win two in a row. Uh, I did I'd just like to say that I predicted this about four months ago, so thank you. <laughs> I even said in the off-season this year, uh, not on the not podcast recording, that the Roosters were the best chance to go back-to-back. Uh, they lose Gripper Cronk, um, which is a big loss, obviously. Uh, not just on the field, but leadership. Um, he'll be there as a coach by the sounds of things. Uh, can the team go back to back to back? I'm not too sure. Um, but 
no one's been in this position for a very long time, so who knows? Yeah, I don't but know. I, I just, yep. I just think with Cooper Cronk leaving, I think that's them. But I actually could see them really going down to fifth or sixth on the ladder, like just uh, missing the top I, four. I, I think they'll, I think they'll be top three next year. I just don't think Kyle Funning and Zener are all standard, and they've used him to replace Cooper Cronk. I think that might be um, a bit like the Melbourne Storm this year. I think that might be uh, quite good throughout the regular season and miss it in the important games at the end. Uh, but congratulations to the City Roosters on going back-to-back, like, despite the the luckiness of it and the total disregard of the rules. Uh, it was a great grand final. Quality was super high. Uh, great game to watch. And... Uh, the Roosters to be in the position to win two grand finals in a row. Um, well, that deserves congratulations. So, good work to the Sydney Roosters. Yeah. Uh, hurt, as a Bulldogs fan, hurts to say, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it does hurt. I hope right. we can stop them next year. That would be nice. The prelim <laughs> or something, stopping them or in the grand final itself. Yep. So, we got uh, the Junior Kangaroos versus France coming up. Yeah, we do, and it's uh, they've changed the rules to under twenty three, so it's yeah. really highlighted some some of the actual. It's a really good side. It just I like I like the change. It's a slight little change that just changes the side completely. Well, and I think it's a fair thing to say because it takes you a long time to get in the Australian side. I'm a bit torn by this, to be honest. I think it's fantastic that. An under twenty three kangaroo team is taking on France. I think it's great for France development. Um, I expect the kangaroo side to win anyway, uh, but it's great for France development. I hope France play um, a full strength side. That would be a really good game to watch. Um, I think there's a bit a few injuries for France, unfortunately. Looking at their um, the squad that they've announced to tour Australia, and they are doing a tour, guys. They're doing more than just the nines in this game. Um, the reason I'm torn is because I don't know what the junior kangaroos or what um, the ARLC want the junior kangaroos to be. Yeah. So the junior kangaroos used to be under 20s and so it was like our best, our highest junior national team, if that makes sense. Um, we go around and play other countries and at that level uh, well, particularly under 18 level, there's not much difference between Australia and the rest of the world. It's not, it's not unlike France or England or Wales to go close or beat Australia at mm. that level. Um, but now it's gone up to under 23, which I'm kind of like, kind of gives us an Australia A team. And I think that could be really good for developing rugby league around the world. Um, but then that's an Australia A team. What's the Prime Minister's team? Um, Obviously, this year Scobo selected it, uh, so he's he's involved and he'll be over there. But that's great. But um, I don't know. I feel like the junior kangaroos probably should be under twenties, and prime minister's team could be the Australia A side and uh, do that development work. Yeah, I'm just look at the team list now, and oh, it's got, it should be a good game. It's, it's hard to, to see it. Hope it's televised. Uh, if not, um, even, even even if it is, I, I might try to see what weekend it is uh, in relation to my work. 
Ce serait drôle, tu sais, avec les verres, les pas les pour le feuille, ben moi, donc, non, c'est bien, j'ai trop de I'd have to look into it, but um, yeah, hopefully it's on TV for people around the world to watch as well. Um, but yeah, I'm excited by it. Uh, but yeah, this 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 new reel that went from under 20 to under 23 has turned it into pretty much well, not not full blown Australia A side because that would be Australia's second best. But this is still age limited, but it's kind of like an Australia A side. So, well, you look at Ryan Pappenhausen. You, you, Ryan Pappenhausen's taken Caleb Monger's fullback spot. Caleb Monger's been shifted to 5'8". Yeah. Brody Croft at halfback. Reed Mahoney in the hooker. Marnie. Marnie. Yep. Marnie sorry. Oh, sorry. It was Marnie, yeah. Then you've got David Fafida. Clark, Angus Crichton and Victor Radley. They're, Victor Radley's gone back-to-back and you forget he's under 23. Yeah. <laughs> so, it'd be, it'd be uh, side. Yeah, it's a very impressive side. Um, but look, the more the more kangaroo teams that are playing these nationals, uh, the better. If it's going to be helping develop rugby league, and while Francis down here to be able to play against a side of that caliber is going to do them no end of good. So, congratulations everyone for getting that sorted. Uh, just just on the junior kangaroo thing, when I say what is it meant to be, uh, the Kiwis do it a bit differently. Uh, they have junior Kiwi teams and they have different junior Kiwi teams of different ages. So they'll have junior Kiwis under 18, junior Kiwis under 20s, junior Kiwis under 16. So maybe that's something that the junior kangaroos might turn into as well, depending on which game is actually being played. Yeah, well, I think there's, um, there's some crossover, isn't there? There's a couple of players in the Prime Minister's team that's also on the junior kangaroo team. Well, uh, isn't Brad Parker one of them? Might be. Uh, I, I might be mistaken there, but I think uh, there's a couple. Well, I'm pretty sure Brad Parker was one on top of my head. Because yep. I was just thinking how good of a year he's had from being like a, a, a no name to a consistent performing centre. Yeah. I thought he's had a good year. But yeah, I think he's one of those players that you're talking about who's in both of the sides. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm looking forward to the fixture. Um, on the same day, it's triple header. Uh, it's going to be a good day for the Wollongong. If you can get down to Wollongong or for the Wollongong locals, anyone who can get there, it would be a fantastic day of rugby league. Yeah, I believe this game's the first game to kick off and it's followed by the double header of Australia versus New Zealand women's game and then men's game. So, a lot of good talent on show, get down there. Yeah, it would be a nice night out in the... A nice, perfectly placed uh, venue near the beach. I hope it's a little bit of a warm one. A nice little sea breeze. <laughs> All right. Perfect we place got... for it. One more topic. Have we got, Scotty? We've got to wrap up. We've got one more topic here. And this one, it goes back to the uh, more of the contracts. Eastern Masters, as we were actually dis- discussing, well, we're about to start the podcast today. Uh, he's announced that he's actually going to the Cowboys for his... Oh, really? Yes, he's had his final year released. He talked to the Tigers' management. He got his manager to talk to the Tigers' management, asking for an upgrade of the contract. The Tiger, and then they rejected that. Then he asked if he could test his market value and found a higher bidder. And the Tigers, he still had one more year to run, but then there's stories about Ryan uh, Madison at the same team with the West Tigers want to test his value. Uh, John Bateman at the Raiders, Caelan Ponger at Newcastle Knights. 
what's the go? You sign a contract, they're making good money. You can test your market value when you're on off your off contract. What's wrong with them not sticking out a contract? Yeah. Um, the Tigers didn't pat him on the shoulder and ask him to leave. Either of those two to leave. They've come to the club wanting upgrades of their contract. They've agreed to that money for two years. Or yeah. it's two years, three years. Ryan Madison agreed to that for three years. And then he has a really good season and he thinks he should be paid more. Well, mate, you agreed to it. Move on. When you get off your contract, you can test your market value. Yeah, I, I, I'd extend it to even say the clubs need to show a bit more um, loyalty as well. Um, they try to ship players off. Uh, I think there was a story uh, a couple of days ago about the amount of players that NRL clubs are trying to ship off to the UK Super League to free up some space. I think it works both ways. Uh, I think we desperately need a transfer window or windows throughout the year. Um, people would still try to break rules, but it might just clean it up a bit. I just want both sides of the parties. Like, you've got to start thinking... Are players worth signing for five years or four years, those really long-term deals? And if you sign those long-term deals, especially if you're young like Caleb Ponga, like the Knights risked it all for him. Yeah. And they gave him the opportunity to play in his preferred position, to play starting the thing. He wasn't playing top grade at the Cowboys, and then he just reckons he can demand. He demands more. Ryan Madison was an interchange bench at play at the West Tigers to being a starting back roller at Sorry, interchange bench of the Roosters, then a stunning back row at the West Tigers. Then he thinks he can demand them all. These clubs have put a punt on them. They've given them something. Well, particularly these players. I can understand what you're saying with the clubs trying to ship players off. Yeah. But I think clubs and things, I don't know, almost it's like three years should be the maximum contract. Uh, I don't know about maximum contracts, but if you have... Um, the thing I like about transfer windows is... Um, you can clubs can plan for them. Maybe you have like an English style compensation payout if you if uh, one club tries to take a player that's under contract and it can come to an agreement between clubs with a transfer fee or something like that as well. Um, but all this could be all put into one end of the season. Players that still want to fix the problem of players trying to get out of contracts early. But obviously, if um, we bring in a transfer window with a bunch of new rules and really enforce those contracts, um, go from there. Mm, I, just, I don't know. Really, both sides are starting to be royal. But these, some of these players and some of these young ones are really starting to test me with their they're signing. They're earning good money. They're earning so much more than the average Australian is earning. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though because the argument against the transfer window from the from the players is that you can, they say when you're going to have it because you can't have it at the end of the year because we need more time to lift our lives and transfer across the country, kids with schools and um, partners with other jobs and that sort of thing, which is understandable. But then you see Eastern Masters, for example. I'm not picking on him, but he's done exactly that. Hmm. <laughs> at the end of the year. Uh, so I don't understand how that's that's a uh, reason against it. I think if you have maybe two or three transfer windows a year, and that's when it happens, we force players and clubs to abide to contracts. Um, so Josh Reynolds is, should be safe at the West Tigers, not being shopped around to our Super League. Same with Josh uh, Dugan. Um, and then these players like uh, Madison and Eastern Masters to uh, 
Seattle contracts. Obviously, it wouldn't change um, mutual agreements. So, like, we're using Eastern Masters as an example, but if Eastern Masters went to the Tigers, and I know you said he's after an extension or a higher deal, but say he went to the Tigers and said, look, I know I'm under contract. I'd really like to move clubs, though, for whatever reason. And the Tigers mutually said, you know what? Uh, that will actually be beneficial to us. Uh, I, I'd be happy for that to go ahead. Um, so, is the release both, 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 both sides are happy. If, if it's not about um, length of deal or money, if it's about needing to move for one reason or another, uh, which is going to pop up throughout, uh, throughout any any system that you have in place, uh, if both sides go, you know what, this is good for us, happy for it to happen, but it does need to be tapered down. You can't have, like, Bateman's manager was saying something along the lines of um, needs to be paid what he's worth next year, otherwise we'll go to another club or something like that, which is uh, ridiculous because you signed a multi-year deal at what you agreed upon. So, so that would be protected. The clubs, the players would be protected from being shipped around as much as they tried to be at the moment. And then you probably have your free windows, I'd say, after the grand final to maybe start of December. And then you'd have another one maybe uh, second week of January to second week of February and maybe uh, one week in the middle of the year. June or July? No, not, not, I wouldn't go two months because I think it takes too much no, attention I mean, away from the football. I mean, but as in just yeah, the, yeah. June or July. Around State of Origin 2 or something like that. Yeah, around the June of July era. Or just after no, State of Origin 2, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. It's interesting. Well, we've wrapped the show up. It's been a long one. I mean, the off-season one we thought was going to go through short shows, but I don't know if it's because we had a week off, but it's been a longer one. Uh, please get in touch with us with all the social media at NRL Bulldogs fans. Is our Twitter account. Our Instagram is at NRL Bulldogs, uh, sorry, I've just tried to thought, at NRL Bulldogs underscore fans, and our, our email address is at nrlbulldogs.fans at gmail.com.au. <laughs>